Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Wonderful to be with you. I'm grateful for the invitation from the rector to preach to you this morning on this, uh, your movable feast day, the feast of St. George here in St. George's Church. I got the message from the announcement before the service. Yeah. Peter said this to the crowd in the house of the centurion Cornelius. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. It's a message of peace. Not a day goes by when that message becomes irrelevant in the world that we live in, in our own lives, indeed in our own hearts, in our own relationships, our families, and our homes. The message of peace. Whether we're talking about Ukraine or COVID or Buffalo, it doesn't matter. The need for the message is the same day in and day out until that day that we just heard about from the reading of Revelation. When the Lord returns and restores all things, a new heaven and a new earth. I want to speak to you this morning as the saints gathered of the parish of Calvary, St. George. Uh, the question here for us is God's church, and I know there may be uh, inquirers, people asking questions, people seeking meaning in life or purpose here in our midst, and there's a word for you as well, but a word for you, the saints of Calvary, St. George, to begin with. How is it that we are to relate to this world that is so broken and bleeding and wounded and sick and at war and so on? How are we, as followers of Christ, to relate to that world? How are we to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem? The first reading that we heard this morning from chapter 10 of the Acts of the Apostles is one of Peter's several sermons in the first half of the book of Acts. And in this reading, he summarizes the message that God is now spreading out to the whole world, not just to the people of Israel, but to the world of the Gentiles. Let me give you a little bit of context. It's Acts chapters 10 and 11, first half of chapter 11, are kind of a unit. And they sit right here in the heart of the Acts of the Apostles. If you don't know, the Acts of the Apostles was written by Luke the Evangelist. It's kind of part two of Luke's gospel. And it tells the story of how the church, the kingdom of God, began to spread from Judea and onward towards Rome and Spain and Syria and Egypt and to the ends of the earth. A spread of God's kingdom that we're still a part of today. So in a sense, the Acts of the Apostles should include us. We read in chapter 10 that there was a man named Cornelius in the town of Caesarea, Caesarea Maritima on the coast of Palestine, the coast of the Mediterranean. Cornelius was a centurion, had command of about 100 Roman soldiers. We're told that his was the Italian 
cohort. Cornelius was a devout man, Luke tells us, and he was friendly towards the Jews, towards God's people. He was a supporter. While Cornelius was praying, an angel of God came to him and gave him these instructions. He said, your prayers have ascended to God. I want you to send some of your men to the nearby town of Joppa and inquire after a man named Simon or Peter and ask him to come to you. So he does this. Meanwhile, Peter in Joppa is up on the roof of a house. He's praying about midday. He's hungry. Somebody's fixing him some food down in the house. But meanwhile, he prays. And while Peter is praying, he enters into what Luke tells us is a trance. And then a vision. The heavens open, and he sees a vision of a sheet with four corners descending from the heavens with animals of all different kinds, mammals and reptiles and birds and so on. And the voice of the Lord, who we learn is the Holy Spirit, says to him, kill and eat any of these. Kill and eat. So three times Peter says, no, Lord, I, I can't do this because some of those animals were unclean according to Jewish law. And Peter is a good Jewish follower of Jesus. And so the Spirit says, kill and eat. Peter says, I can't eat what is unclean. And then the Spirit says, what God has made clean, you should not shun. God has now made these things clean. And we as readers of the story, we've read Luke's gospel, we know how God made all things clean by the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. So Cornelius' men show up at Peter's house. Peter also in the vision is told uh, that these men are going to be coming and he's to speak to them. They ask for Peter. Peter welcomes them, gives them food and a room to stay in. The men come and they say, we are here to hear whatever you have to say. We've come to hear whatever you're going to tell us. So they bring Peter back to Cornelius' house in Caesarea. This is where the teaching is supposed to happen. Cornelius gathers his friends and family. First, Cornelius tries to worship Peter, and Peter won't have any of that, of course. And then Peter gives the sermon that we just heard, the reading from Acts. Peter spoke to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every people, anyone who fears God and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The message spread throughout Judea, started in Galilee. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Remember that, doing good and healing. We are witnesses to all that he did in Judea and Jerusalem, but they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. However, God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear not to everyone but to those of us who were appointed and then he commanded us to preach and to bear witness to that message. And everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And as soon as Peter delivers this 
message to Cornelius' house. The Holy Spirit descends upon the house, just like at Pentecost in the upper room. And these Gentile people in Cornelius' circle start to speak in tongues and show the signs and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, the after story is that when Peter gets back to Jerusalem, some of the original Jewish followers of Jesus are understandably scandalized that Peter has eaten and resided with Gentiles. For a thousand years, the scriptures of Israel have been teaching not to do this. It's a serious surprise, and it's understandable that they would react the way that he did. Peter tells them what happened, that the Holy Spirit descended and so on, and they're sold. Immediately, they praised God, saying, God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. These chapters in Luke's Acts of the Apostles are a wonderful picture for us and a model of how are we to relate to the world that is so broken by disease and war and strife and despair and so on. Listen to the clues that Luke gives us in his text. Cornelius himself, Cornelius is a Roman commander. He's a commander in the Roman army in the empire of the world, which rules by the sword and in whose streets blood ran daily. Cornelius is a commander in the Roman army. His regiment is from Italy, moreover, and where is he? He's in the town of Caesarea, the town of Caesar. The word Caesar is also translated or rendered in Greek as kurios, or Lord. Cornelius is the Roman commander who lives in the town of the Lord, Caesar. That's the world that we have to deal with. We'll come back to that. But who is Cornelius? What is his heart? What is his life like? He's pious or devout. He's seeking to do good. He even prays to a God. And the true God hears his prayers. He's a friend to God's people. Remember that. He's a friend to God's people. He brings his friends and his relatives into his house to hear Peter. He's eager to share whatever it is that Peter's going to tell him. He's going to spread the word himself. Here is the point of contact that the church is given with the world. Not to be offensive or to bash down people's doors, but to listen and look and to seek out and find those places where God has provided an opening, where there are already friends, people who are seeking, people who are going to tell their friends. Well, once you see the setup, you know where this is going, and the spread of the word cannot be stopped. Well, what about Peter for his part? In the reading, did you notice what Peter asked him? Well, that's the first thing to notice, is that the first thing Peter did was to ask a question. He didn't show up talking like he knew everything, I've got a word that you all have to hear. No, what Peter first said was, why did you send for me? 
The ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ, of God's healing grace, are to have that kind of posture and that kind of heart, seeking first to understand those with whom we have to do in the world, and specifically to find out what is it that you need? Where are you hurting? What are you seeking? What is it that you're trying to find? Because, you see, God is already at work in their hearts before we ever show up. And that's important for us to remember. So Peter is interested in who they actually are and what they need. Secondly, remember I told you that Cornelius fell down and tried to worship Peter. And, of course, Peter would have none of it. He said, I'm, I'm just a mortal. So Peter refuses to accept the glory of the occasion. He refuses the honor that Cornelius is trying to throw at him. It's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus and the message that I've come to give you. Thirdly, Peter shows hospitality. He welcomes Cornelius' people into his home. He feeds them, provides shelter for the night, and so on. Finally, I've left out one important figure, although I've mentioned him a couple of times. Oh, and that's God. God is the one who is orchestrating this entire chain of events. God sent the angel to Cornelius. God sent the Holy Spirit to Peter and gave them the directions how to do all of this and so on. We have the world that we need to pay attention to and we seek those openings. We have ourselves. We need to be mindful of how we relate to others in a godly way. And above all, we have the power of God that is much greater than we can ever ask or imagine. Isn't that a wonderful image of how the church is to relate to the world? I offer that to you today as my first point on this, your feast day, because this church does not exist for itself. I'll say that again. This church does not exist for itself. Now, we're all beloved children of God. I'm not saying God doesn't care for you or me. Of course he does. The same healing grace is offered to us. But it's a healing grace that's meant to go out those doors and across the park and down the street and around the city. That's the nature of the grace that we celebrate in our own lives. So the second point then, what is this message that we have to share? If it's not ourselves, as Peter demonstrates, God forbid that we try to sell people on ourselves, what is the message? The first point here is that we not only need to know the message, but we need to have experienced it and be living it. It needs to be moving in our heart and our lives and to be changing us. Because the world may be needy and broken, but it's not stupid a lot of the time. And people will smell a fake when they see it coming, much of the time. So we need to be authentic. And what does authenticity in the gospel mean? It means that we need to have received this message ourselves first. And what is it? Peter says first to Cornelius's Gentile circle, you know what? God isn't partial. God is interested in everyone. 
God isn't going to discriminate on the basis any longer of ethnicity or gender or social standing or education and so on and so on and so on. It's easy to imagine when we think God is not partial, well, that's nice, that kind of warms our heart because we probably like to think of ourselves as impartial and very, you know, just and equitable people. Who doesn't like to be equitable except when we don't like to be equitable? But we probably are okay with the idea that God is not partial, but there's actually more to the story than that. When Peter says God is not partial, in the language of the scriptures, this also means that God cannot be bribed. God is a righteous judge. God's not like a human judge who might take a bribe. God cannot be bribed or cajoled or manipulated for my ends. That's what it also means when we say God is impartial. God doesn't work for me. I work for God. But the second thing that it means is that God cannot be owned. God wasn't owned by that church in Jerusalem. God wasn't even owned by Peter at that moment. Peter himself knew that by this point. So firstly, God is not partial. But secondly, there's that message again that I read at the beginning. You know the message that God first gave to Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. So there are two points here. Peace and that Jesus is Lord of all. When we say peace in English, it, it's an important word to be sure as we all we know only too well in these painful times. But on the other hand, the English word peace can also be a bit too light. It might mean that we just stop fighting or that we maybe learn to get along. But the Greek word peace, Irene, it's the, the, the name Irene is the name peace. In Hebrew is shalom. So in the scriptures, God's message was shalom to God's people and to the whole earth. And God's shalom peace is much bigger than what we imagine as peace in English. God's shalom peace means nothing short of complete well-being or flourishing, we might say. Shalom is conquered in harmony within our own minds and in our families and in our communities. Shalom is social health and order. Shalom is also bounty and fruitfulness or prosperity. And finally, God's shalom is health and wholeness. Have you fully appreciated that that's the gospel message that was preached by the apostles through Jesus Christ? Peace, shalom, well-being to the whole earth. That's our message and nothing short of it. In other words, the message is for us to have life in God. That's what life with God looks like. Now, to be sure, our lives are still going to be afflicted in many ways, outwardly and even inwardly. But the peace that God gives us in Jesus Christ is a real living and breathing kind of life. And I'm going to return to that in just a moment at the end. 
We have to know and live and experience the message. How do you know and experience God's shalom in your life? Or are you more focused this morning on the absence, on your need, on a place of emptiness or brokenness or pain or disease or so on? God's will for you and for me is well-being, peace, flourishing, and health. This is how God created us to live. So the second half of that message then is he is Lord of all. Jesus the Christ, he is Lord of all. Now again, easy to say, but what does it mean? Lord of all things or Lord of all creatures, all people. The title Lord of all is used in the scriptures first for the God of Israel. Jesus is also the God of heaven and earth, the Lord of the nations, and the one who is appointed to be the judge. But Lord of all, as a title, also is given to some of the pagan gods in that world that Peter went to preach in Cornelius' house. We have evidence of this. The Greek god of Cyrus, for example, was called Lord of all, the Egyptian god. Zeus in the Greek pantheon is Lord of all. So Peter is stepping into this Gentile space and saying, actually Jesus is Lord of all. Not these other gods that you were thinking about. But there's a third Lord of all that I've already alluded to with the name of that city, Caesarea. In the Roman Empire, particularly in the imperial period, the title Lord of all was given to Caesar. And no one in Cornelius' household would have missed this. So Peter is also speaking a politically challenging message. You may think that Caesar is Lord of all, but he's not. Jesus is Lord of all. So we see right here in the heart of the message that there's an edge to our word. It's a challenge, it's a correction, it's a higher truth than the world around us believes, inherits, and even, perhaps especially, that our social structures are organized in order to venerate. Let me say that again. Our social, this is one of St. Augustine's great teachings in his large book, The City of God, focuses on this idea. The very social structures of our world, even our language, our economic system, our relationships, the entire structure of human reality is oriented towards idolatry. There's not a space in human society that doesn't need the message that Jesus is Lord of all. There's not a space in our world that is not worshiping another God, whether it knows it or not. In other words, for us, 2022, New York City or Durham or wherever you are, there is no neutral space out there. Don't imagine that you're living around, walking around and conducting your life in a neutral space. It is not a neutral space. If you scratch beneath the surface and follow the connections far enough, you'll see that it's actually oriented towards another God. But we know and confess 
that Jesus is actually the Lord of all. What does this Lord look like, and what does the true God do? Peter tells the household that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. God anointed his own son, God's son, the Lord and creator of the universe. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit to do what? To bring peace. All of those structures of the world that I was just talking about are aimed away from peace. But by God's grace, peace comes through the Lord Jesus. And God has anointed him also to be the judge of the living and the dead. So when God anoints Jesus with his own Holy Spirit, Jesus, this is just a summary of Luke's gospel, the first book that we might have read. He goes about with power, notice that, power, doing good, being a blessing to those around him, and healing all who are oppressed by the devil and by other diseases and so on. Jesus was anointed with power to do good and to heal. That's what the Lord of all looks like. And does, and that's what we are to represent ourselves. Well, of course, as we all know, it wasn't a spoiler where it was going. How does the world receive the Lord of all and true goodness from God? Well, they killed him. And that's actually why Jesus came, ultimately. And he submitted to his own execution willingly, out of love. He knew they were going to kill him, and they knew that God was going to raise him, and he told his disciples that three times. So the world, let's don't be naive, is not exactly a friendly place to the work of God and the power of God's healing ministry. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. I can't help but wonder if that was Peter being generous and trying to be kind to this Roman household, because you know, of course, that Jesus was nailed, brutally nailed to a cross by Roman soldiers, and that this was the most hideous form of execution in the Roman world for lowlifes and criminals and people you wanted to make an example of. Did you notice how Peter didn't say, and you all crucified him the way you always do that? You know, he kind of was trying to meet them somewhere halfway. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But that's actually not the message. That's not the good news. The good news comes next. God raised him from the dead. They killed him, but God raised him. And there's the very heart of the gospel. Jesus went around Galilee healing and exercising demons and so on because he represents God's life that the world hated. The message of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead who died for our sins. God's healing power, God's life, triumphs over anything that we can throw at him. And God, like we sang the verse in Luther's hymn, The Mighty Fortress, 
God's kingdom, God must win the victory through Christ. Be God's victory, God's life, God's healing power in the resurrection of Jesus. We see for the first time, just like Peter saw it for the first, he didn't get it until it had happened. Peter, the disciples, and all of us, we see for the first time who God is. We like to imagine that people around the world are interested in God. They're seeking God. Many are. There are a lot of ideas of God floating around. You know, the prime mover, the cause of the universe or something. The person who's responsible for all the bad stuff. And, you know, forget it. Who is God really? God is the one who rose Jesus from the dead. Who conquered sin and death and the powers of darkness. And showed and embodied that God's life has the final word. All who believe in this Christ, this anointed son, all who believe in him will have forgiveness of their sins in his name, Peter says. And then that's when the Holy Spirit fell again among the room. Well, when Peter gets back to Jerusalem at the very end of that little vignette, after he's told the story, the church in Jerusalem recognizes what was going on. They say, aha, God has given repentance that leads to life, even to the Gentiles. And that's a wonderful word, repentance, just to focus on here finally. Repentance is transformation. It's a total change of the mind and heart. That's the work that we're in the business of doing here in church and bringing the message of it out to the world. It's a real change of life. And that's the only way that we can authentically witness God's healing grace to the world around us. So Peter says, he tells Cornelius' house, and then he tells the Jerusalem church in similar language. Peter says, we are witnesses of all the things that he's done. And we know that, right? When, G when Peter summarizes Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he really was a witness to it. So this is where we leave our message today. Here's the takeaway. It's not enough to just have a word. It's not enough to think you have the right answer. It's not enough even just to form the relationship. But we're called to be witnesses, to actually show people the life, the transformation, the healing, and the victory over death and darkness that God has won for us in Jesus Christ. It's never going to be complete in our day. Only when all things are made new will the world be completely restored, but it's begun already now, and we know it here in this place we call church, Jesus' body. We have already begun to experience that. And again, if you're an inquirer in the room and you have not yet experienced that healing power that comes through Jesus Christ, please tell someone. Tell someone sitting next to you in the congregation or speak to the rector or anybody wearing a white robe. I pray and hope that you will know that healing grace. Those of us who are followers of Jesus do know it, don't we? It's enough to change your life. So let's remember on this feast day of St. George, 
as we look out into the world that God loves and died for. God is for the healing of the world. God is a God of peace. And Jesus came simply wanting to bless people and to oppose the powers of darkness. God leads us. God is orchestrating all of this. So don't think that you have to do this all on your own or you've got to figure it out or you've got to have the right method. It's kind of pointless. Just follow the Lord. Seek God's will and the movement of God's spirit and then just follow. God is the great conductor and the author, the writer of the orchestra that we're participating in. The glory belongs to God, never to us. This only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit for us to be witnesses of the message. Peace to the world through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.